Welcome to another edition of the Flathead Beacon Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Drew, recording from the beautiful, sunny Flathead Valley. It's Friday, March 11th. My colleague Tristan Scott was in Missoula last week reporting on the sentencing of Matt Marshall, the CEO of Whitefish Securities firm Amantor Group, who conned venture capitalist Mike Gogan out of millions of dollars over the last decade. Marshall pretended to be a former CIA agent engaged in covert operations around the world in order to convince Gogan to fund his missions. And on March 3rd, Marshall was sentenced to six years in prison and ordered to pay $3.2 million in restitution. Marshall was charged with wire fraud, money laundering, and tax evasion for a scheme that began back in 2013. Tristan Scott, the Flathead Beacon's managing editor, has been covering the Matt Marshall case for years and joins the podcast today to break down the timeline into audibly digestible nuggets for your consumption. Before we get to that, however, a quick reminder that this podcast is sponsored in part by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Members support all of our journalism in all of its forms, in print, online, and up here in the podcast studio, and they do so for as little as $5 per month. Plus, they get some extra perks too. So to find out more or join today, visit BeaconEditorsClub.com. Tristan, thanks for taking time out of your very busy day to chat with me. Good to be here, Micah. So Tristan, last week you drove down to Missoula to attend the sentencing hearing for Matt Marshall, a whitefish CEO of a securities firm who was really there as the culmination of this years-long investigation into a fraud scheme he carried out against a local philanthropist that uh, led to millions of dollars worth of fraud and really has been something you've been following for a while. Let's start with the sentencing hearing of Matt Marshall last week. What was the what was the result at the end? Well, the the result was that Matt Marshall is going to serve the next six years in a federal penitentiary in Indianapolis, Indiana. He hopes um, his family is uh, is so roiled by uh, by what's unfolded over the past few years that they're going to leave Montana, relocate to Indiana, hmm. where Matt Marshall is actually from, and he hopes to be relocated there so he can receive visits from. His family. Now, this is the conclusion of, yeah, as you said, uh, a, an investigation that has spanned years that has come out in these tiny little Easter eggs as there's been new developments in the case, as we've learned more through uh, public records requests and interviews. Um, but it really wasn't until this sentencing hearing that the that the entire story emerged. And it's it's a textured one uh, with lots of different characters. And so I think it, it's something that, that readers, even those who have followed it closely, might might have, have missed some steps along the way. And so we're hoping to fill in those mm-hmm. gaps uh, this, 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 through this uh, interview. All right. Well, let's start with the most straightforward part of this case. Matt Marshall is our main character who was sentenced. Who is Matt Marshall? Well, what we know about Matt Marshall is what happened after he met. Michael Gogan, who is a venture capitalist who lives in Whitefish, is well known as a philanthropist, and he installed Marshall as the CEO 
of a securities firm called Amantor, which mm-hmm. had several purposes, but the main one was to provide personal security for Mike Gogan and his family. And in that role, Matt Marshall established a degree of trust with Mike Gogan that really is indicative of his fierce loyalty, but it was all, as we heard in court, predicated on lies. Um, Matt Marshall quickly learned that Gogan had various safety concerns based on previous encounters from his past with stalkers and other people who had tried to extort him for his money. And in order to gain the victim's unwavering trust, he facilitated a a scheme to defraud him. And uh, one of the ways in which he did that was by telling Gogan that he needed money for a variety of missions organized by the CIA for the benefit of the United States. And in order to do that, he made up a pretty elaborate um, background history for himself, including time that he spent serving for various law enforcement agencies, uh, as well as time with the U.S. Marine Corps' force reconnaissance team. Um, Although it turned out Matt Marshall did spend time um, with law enforcement agencies in Indiana and was actually a U.S. Marine, he was on the reserves and he was certainly never a force reconnaissance team member. However, in order to convince his victim that he was, he had the force recon insignia tattooed on himself. Um, He shared with the victim a number of text messages that he sent to himself from a, a burner app purportedly from high-ranking intelligence officials, including uh, Kofor Black, who was a, a top uh, intelligence official for the Homeland Security. He sent uh, the victim, Mike Gogan, a set of prayer beads that he claimed to have taken off of uh, a dead terrorist's body. And throughout this um, this sort of deception, he he was extracting money from the victim, which, again, he ostensibly was spending on these elaborate CIA missions, but was actually just putting right into his bank account. And you know, he used co-words, code words um, to describe the CEA, like calling it uh, Red Cross, which is a nickname uh, for the CIA. And again, um, using these, uh, these burner apps to send himself text messages, which he then showed Gogan to, to prove that the, the, the missions had been successful. So Marshall spent years and years living this fantasy world and promoting himself as this covert operative, high-ranking official for, for a reason. What, what was he getting? Well, he was getting uh, money, a lot, a lot of money. Once he befriended the victim and sort of established these material misstatements, um, built up his credibility and convinced the victim to uh, start funding these securities missions. He essentially, as Mike Gogan said in court, he had the key to the castle. Um, and he used that money that Gogan gave him to fund a lavish lifestyle that he otherwise never could have afforded. And so it was about the money. But, um, you know, even government prosecutors in court sort of seemed befuddled at how somebody, anybody uh, could go to such great lengths in such detail and with such commitment to establish over the course of years this false identity. And even Gogan said, you know, I, I, I feel feel like I've been duped and it's embarrassing, but 
I just never thought that somebody would literally send themselves pages and pages and pages of text messages and emails purporting to be from somebody else. And so I think the psychology of this is what sort of confused people. And let me just read an excerpt from the government, the government sentencing memorandum, because mm-hmm. it really, really sort of sums up um, the, the extent to which Marshall was willing to go. <clears throat> Rather than attempt to fade into obscurity when the walls closed in, Marshall went on offense, engaging in a scorched earth assault on the victim's credibility as well as anyone else who dared to step in his way. He had no qualms about ending people's careers, forging documents, acquiring fake phone numbers and email accounts to send manufactured messages, lying about his background and his mentors, or filing false reports with law enforcement agencies if his goals could be achieved and his needs met. There was no end to the falsehoods Marshall told to extract what he wanted, and only when confronted with a mountain of irrefutable evidence did he cede any ground. His conduct ranges far beyond the traditional pattern of obtaining money by making material misstatements. Marshall's crimes are indicative of a person in need of specific deterrence, just punishment, and a term of imprisonment sufficient to protect the public from the further offenses he seems certain to commit. So there you have it. And the government ultimately uh, got the sentence that they were recommending, which was uh, a term of imprisonment of 72 months or six years, followed by three years of supervised release and the repayment of $3.2 million. Tristan, thank you for your work on this, going down to the courthouse multiple times, I know, to the several hearings. Really great work, really great story. Thanks, Micah. A big thanks to Tristan Scott for taking the time to join the podcast. You can read all of his coverage of the Matt Marshall sentencing online at flatheadbeacon.com and that will be linked below in the show notes. Now, here are some stories from the last week as of 10 p.m. Thursday, March 10th. In the last few weeks, Logan Health Medical Center has notified patients that some of their information may have been accessed after a hack led to a data breach back in November. In total, the breach affected 213,543 people, including nearly 175,000 Montanans. The hospital discovered suspicious activity in November, including evidence of unauthorized access to a file server that included shared folders for business operations November 22nd. According to Logan Health CEO, while some health information related to patients was accessed, no electronic medical records were accessed. The hospital has been hacked before, including a breach in January of 2021 and one back in 2019, although this was the largest. On Tuesday, a 35-year-old Kalispell man convicted of murdering his wife back in December of 2020 was sentenced to 100 years in the Montana State Prison, a punishment the victim's mother said brings family members some closure so they can now turn attention to raising the couple's four young children. A jury found Bradley J. Helius guilty of felony deliberate homicide on January 14th following a 10-day trial. Although he has continually maintained his innocence in the death of his wife, Amanda Helius, jurors did not believe his version of events and rendered the guilty verdict after just five hours of deliberation. Judge Robert B. Allison, who presided over the hearing, accepted the state's sentencing recommendation of a maximum 100 years. 
the Flathead Valley commissioners are faced with the potential of closing down the county's Montana State University Extension Office, which coordinates the local 4-H programs due to the impending retirement of Extension agent Pat McGlynn, who is the last remaining agent at the office. The Extension Office has been without a 4-H agent since 2020, with McGlynn picking up the extra duties in order to keep the programs going. County Commissioner Randy Brodell said that Montana State University, who funds and sponsors the Extension Office, has failed to fill the open position over the last year and a half, though the executive director of the MSU Extension said in an email that they were committed to both running 4-H in Flathead County and keeping the office open. McGlynn's last day will be May 1st, and if the 4-H position is not filled and neither is McGlynn's, there will be nobody left in the office. And finally, the state basketball tournaments are underway at several locations across the state. We have a couple Flathead Valley teams that earn spots to the state tournaments, but facing the stiffest competition in the state is always tough. In Class A, the Columbia Falls girls lost a first-round game to Billing Central 65-30 and now move on to the consolation bracket. In Double A, the Glacier Wolfpack boys lost to Billing Skyview, and the Flathead Bravettes, who made their first tournament appearance since 2013, also both lost in first-round matches and are into the consolation brackets. In Class B, the Big Fork Valkyries lost a first-round game to Jefferson, but the Vikings beat Manhattan 55-42 in their first game of the tournament, and they now move to the semifinals, where they will face three forks on Friday evening. That's all there is from me today. As always, you can stay up to date on the latest local news online at flatheadbeacon.com. This episode was hosted, edited, mixed, and produced by me, Micah Drew. Music in this episode of the Flathead Beacon podcast includes songs by local Flathead Valley artist Mike Murray, who's kind enough to let us use them. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.